Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores and today we have Simon Owen here. Hello. Hi Sam. Yeah, Simon Owen here from uh, BRM, Director of BRM and um, grandson of Sir Alfred Owen. The uh, Well, I guess he was the original, uh, one of the original owners of BRM, bought it in 1953. And uh, I'm lucky enough with my cousins and my father uh, to be... Um, in control of, of BRM at the moment. That's very cool. Now, I would say, normally I would say, how did you get into all this? Well, clearly, <laughs> you were sort of born into it. Um, but this this whole new era of, of BRM, I guess, or, or sort of bringing back a bit of the memories, um, t- tell me tell me about this, this idea and, and your journey to this point, I guess. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, I guess it, it goes back probably four or five years ago, um, having a conversation with a couple of my cousins, um, Paul Owen in particular, um, about BRM. We, you know, growing up with uh, as a young young man, um, I was always aware of BRM, but yeah, I was distracted with other businesses and other things, and. Um, we suddenly sort of started talking about it, realizing that actually it was something very cool that, you know, we weren't really doing anything with as a, as a family company because Rubri Owen, uh, the family company, sort of ultimately owns uh, BRM Limited. Yeah. And so we spoke about trying to do something with it. And, you know, as a family company has got 40-odd shareholders with lots of different views, um, mm. not everyone understood the, you know, the the potential merits of a heritage Formula One brand. So we spent uh, sort of two or three years trying to persuade the board and, and some of the shareholders that it was a, a pretty cool asset to to go and um, go and celebrate, actually, go and do something with. But um, at the end of that sort of period, it, it, it sort of seemed that 
they weren't as enthusiastic as as the minority. Um, so we decided to um, you know said, well, look, if you're not interested, we are. We'll we'll take a license. So my father, uh, John Owen, um, son of Sir Alfred Owen, uh, Nick Owen, Paul Owen, and myself, um, took the license off. Ruby Owen, um, who supported us with that, uh, and are continuing to support us um, in the journey of, of bringing it back to life. That's, it sounds it sounds like it's a it's a pretty interesting um, thing to be doing. Have you been? But up to this point, have you been like a mad petrol head and mm. been heavily well, into it, this it, sort it, of history? Yeah. I mean, em- embarrassingly, I know very little about cars. I've no idea how they work, um, <laughs> which is which is ironic. Uh, but I thought I'd get that out quickly before you start asking me technical questions. Um, but no, yeah, I, I I love cars. I love the way they look. Love the way they sound. Love the way they smell. Um, I've become far more of a petrol head uh, on this journey. But I suppose the thing that really sort of got me fired up about it was was in 1981 when you know the you know, during the recession you know the, the the great industrial company that was Ruby Owen uh, was struggling uh, in the early 80s and um, in 1981 unfortunately we had to sell a lot of our assets uh, including BRM mm. or not BRM but some of the BRMs um, and so um, as a sort of a wee ten-year-old, I was taken to this um, auction uh, to see these beautiful cars being being sold off, and I'll never forget my my old man sort of picking me up and, and putting me in a V16 at age ten. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really understand the significance of it at, at, at the time, yeah. but um, that sort of obviously sowed a seed, and um, you know, to to be able to work with my father. Uh, 40 years later to to bring back the name and to build a new uh or you know another v16 is um is incredibly powerful i think um so to have you know that opportunity um i'm feeling incredibly privileged yeah it might it's being that sort of age you you just around those things like you being around those things you're just like oh yeah it's a cool car like get in it and then mm. you look back and you're like oh no they were really cool cars <laughs> well it, it, exactly and i think you know not many people realize that you know we, we gave nicky ladder his first drive um in formula one and and that was more my era really where, mm. where i started to sort of see the mobile cars and and actually understand that they were they were BRMs and and they were cool, um, but you know as a as a sort of early twenties man going off to university and, and pursuing a, another career, um, BRM sort of took a, a, a back seat, and um, it wasn't until much later that we realised collectively um, that actually we had an incredible asset here and we should do something with it. Yeah, yeah. I'll admit my knowledge of BRM is pretty limited until this morning of some googling. I'm I'm yeah. quite a late comer into the party. I'm also a bit younger than you, um, and they weren't really around when I was sort of paying attention to yeah. TVs. Um, no, but- I mean that, that that's yeah, that that's the whole point. Is that you know back in the sixties. 
um, it, it was you know very much um, you know Ferrari and BRM going toe to toe. Obviously, Ferrari carried on, did road cars. You know, BRM stopped in in nineteen seventy four. So we raced um, you know in F one in nineteen fifty to nineteen seventy four um, when Sir Alfred was told it was going to cost a million quid to to run the team and said, well, look, enough's enough. And, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've got a business to run. Um, you know, this, this thing's got out of control. So, you know, that's, that's what happened. And, and thankfully, because of the, the work of the BRMA, the British Racing Motors Association, um, and Hall and Hall and Bourne, uh, the name has sort of been kept alive by them, um, to which we're, we're incredibly grateful. But I, I think, you know, if, if we're going to talk about BRM and, and sort of educate people about BRM, um, BRM was Britain's first Formula One team. Um, the, the P15, the V16 was Britain's first Formula One car, um, which is pretty special, to be fair. And yeah. when you look at that car, um, 36,000 individually engineered parts, it's a phenomenal thing. Um, it was way ahead of its time um, and produced figures. Um, you know, here's a layman speaking, but you know, we, we've got 627 brake horsepower out of a 1.5 liter engine <laughs> um, that was basically conceived in 1946. Um, that's pretty phenomenal. Fangio was uh, purported to have gone 200 miles an hour in, in 1953 at Albi. Um, so when you look at those sort of figures now, they're still astounding. Um, so you can imagine what they were like in period. It completely blows my mind, like the these sorts of cars. Like looking at, I was looking up some of the details on this one. And yeah, the sort of horsepower figures, the size of the engine, the number of cylinders. Um, but then like the performance, like it's like 0 to 60s, uh, the, the numbers I came across, and I'm sure it's it's been revised now in the, the more modern one, but the 0 to 60 under four seconds and over 190 miles an hour. Like mm. that's not embarrassing for a modern supercar. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it, exactly. And, and, that that's the thing you know we we want to tell this story because not many people know about it and and you know you are younger than me thank you for pointing that out but you you don't know <laughs> about brm and 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 that's what we're doing this project about because we we want to tell the story um we mm. we can tell it authentically because we're we're the owen family we've owned it yeah. uh, ever since 1953 um so we're able to tell it you know, the story authentically. We want to tell it to a new audience. We want to tell it to the likes of yourselves that, that love motorsport, that maybe have heard of it, maybe it haven't, but don't know much about it. Um, and, and ultimately, we want to go racing again. Um, what that looks like remains to be seen, but we, we've built a car and we want to race it. We want people to see it and hear it and smell it. And um, it's a very special thing. You only have to look on, on online at the comments that we get Every time that thing is fired up, people get very excited. Um, you know, in, a, in an age where everything's moving um, bizarrely to electric, um, you know, this thing becomes ever more special. Because was it pitched as, did it end up, it was going to be, or sort of, you were trying to pitch it as the, uh, the, like the great Britain 
team at the same time at the initially yeah yeah well back in back in the day post-war the most sport was dominated by the italians the french and the germans uh there was no real british other than the eras prior to to the war there wasn't really any uh british motorsport teams out there so the founder raymond mays um was an incredible man uh visionary really had a had a vision to take on the might of the Europeans, um, but his vision was to have uh, a, a British car designed, you know, in Britain, built in Britain with all British parts, and driven by a British driver to take on the world and win the world championship. That was yeah. his vision, which is you know an, an astonishing vi- vision. And there were many other teams that sort of. Came, came and went, and you know, still around, you know, Van Wall, Lotus, that, that, that did that, but they didn't do it to the same vision. You know, they, they compromised on the parts they used. They weren't British. Um, maybe the driver wasn't British. But you know, it, it took us until 1962, which is our 60th anniversary this year, which is why we're celebrating it, um, for Graham Hill to get over the line um, and, and, and pit. Um, Lotus to the to the world championship, and um, that's an incredible vision to to have stuck through thick and thin from you know 1949 and and the embarrassment of 1950 when you know the, we we broke a drive shaft uh, at Silverstone in front of the world in front of royalty. Um, you know that was an incredible tenacity to to keep going and mm. and to not waver from that vision. Um, and and showcase British engineering excellence, and to get us over the line for world championship with with Graham Hill in 1962, which was yeah we're, we're very very proud of, and, and we were runner up four times after that. So um, you know that's an incredible feat, and not many people sort of understand that because we stopped racing in 1974. So there's this big gap. There's a you know, generation or two that need to be brought up to date. Yeah. The looking at just reading into it a little bit, it sounds like the sort of engineering that went into these V16 cars um, was they were sort of, you know, you, you will know the, all of the details on this, but it sounded like they were sort of going after air, aircraft quality rather than road car quality mm. in like all of yeah. the things. Um, can you explain like, yeah. like it sounds like a lot of parts of it were almost significantly more complicated, definitely the engine than other people, but because of this ethos, hundred percent. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I think if you if you if you think post-war, yeah, we're, we're talking 1946-47 when this whole um, project sort of started. Where where was technology? Technology was was in aircrafts. It, it was in um, the aircraft industry because of the war. And and so obviously all that engineering and technical know-how and um, expertise had gone into into aircraft. So obviously trying to use some of that technolo- technology and and bring it into most sport racing was what we're about. And a classic example is, is you know some of the struts are from fighter aircraft. You know the suspension uh, struts. Um, the supercharger um, in the V16 is a downscaled supercharger from a Spitfire Merlin engine. 
So, you know, these are astonishing things. I think the tachometer was adapted from a Wellington bomber. So, you know, they, they used the technology that was there, um, you know, to, to you know, make the best car possible. And that was the thing. It wasn't, it was all about not compromising. It was all about producing the very best car that was possible. Um, however ambitious, however seemingly stupid, um, they would pursue that. And, and it was incredibly complicated. If there were two ways of doing it, BRM would do it the hard way. And they would do it the hard way because, yeah, because the, the engineering um, yeah, might take more time or more money. They just didn't compromise on it. And um, sometimes that was to their detriment because, yeah, there was reliable, re- reliability issues at the beginning. But by the end of 1953, 54, the V16 was incredibly efficient um, and not fuel efficient, I might add. I think it does about <laughs> six, four, six miles to the gallon. But yeah. um, it's, it, you know, it was a, a pretty reliable car, and um, and that's the car that we've, you know, we built. So we we want to showcase that. But the, the one point I, I, I would say, and you know, I'm fixated on the on the V16, and, and my cousins tease me about this, but. Um, the level of engineering that went into the V16 was the level of engineering that went into every BRM, and you know BRM was renowned for its uh, for its engineering, the, mm. the quality of the engineering, and the quality of the parts that went into it, which which is makes it very special. We didn't compromise. We didn't go and you know over to Italy or to France or to somewhere else to go and get some some other parts. We built them and designed them ourselves. Only Ferrari and only BRM are the only two uh, world championship car, uh, teams that designed and built their own cars, which is an incredible testament to, to BRM and yeah. to the people in Bourne um, and to British engineering. Because when this whole venture started, um, it was very much, you know, Raymond Mays went round cap in hand to, to 200 uh, the great industrialist, British industrialist at the time, saying, yeah, I've got this vision, can you help? You know, Lucas was involved and, and you know, my grandfather, obviously. And um, it was only through the support of those people that this thing got off the ground. Um, and it became known as, um, you know, BRM became known as the ambassador for Britain. Nice. Um, so it was, it, it was not, just about building a, a race team it was about international prestige for british engineering after the war and that's what this was um and that's why you know, we we often say that we we hold the brm name in trust for the nation you know we don't own it um we we hold it in trust for the nation and uh we're we're very proud of that and we you know we're just custodians of it you know i i grandfather sir alfred owen was was owned it but he he wasn't the the engineer he wasn't the man on the ground building the cars and and doing all the hard graft that that came from the people in born yeah no it sounds like the this sort of technical showcase of doing things properly doing things well doing trying to do things as best as possible is is really um, it's a really cool thing I, I remember i was just looking up and then one one bit of text that i came across was like the red the rev counter alone must have had 50 pieces in it and you're like, mm. <laughs> like, yeah. exactly yeah. Stuff, i mean like, 
Of course, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, we could have gone and bought something off the shelf, um, but no, we we adapt to Wellington bomber tachometer and and try and make it work because the engineering would be better and it it looked better and blah blah blah. It, it it's yeah, it, it's madness, especially these days. But actually, that's what makes it so special yeah. is that the, there was no compromise, um, and they stuck to their guns and they stuck to their vision. I think you know, one of the, the things that's really struck home to me is that that level of engineering is only now really beginning to get appreciated. And the the world's largest sort of collector of BRMs happens to be Richard Mille, um, you know, the fantastic mm. watchmaker and um, incredible brand. And uh, I think that's testament to to the level of engineering that goes into all the BRM cars. Yeah. Has it been interesting going sort of back? Because you, you then, to, to rebuild one of these cars, presumably you've had to go back and look at one, all the initial drawings, but also presumably one of the cars or the cars and really like dig back into them and all the details and then the processes to make them. Has that been quite interesting and sort of almost surprising processing parts maybe yeah it's yeah i mean it, it's been an incredible journey um you know i i can't take any credit for any of it really uh, <laughs> that goes to hall and hall in in born who live and breathe brm and um the one thing that that i would say is that we have twenty thousand uh of the original drawings um and those things are a work of art in themselves um hand-drawn from 1946 they, they go back to they are absolutely beautiful um and, and we've got i would have probably thought 95 percent of what we need to build any brm hmm. um with the v16 or the, the, the p15 v16 there were a couple of things that uh or a couple of plans missing but i think we could we we use the original uh chassis one from Bewley. Uh, and another car to to help reverse engineer some of the uh, some of the parts of the car, but you know, the whole project is the fact that we have owned the the name and the mark since 1953. So all we're doing is building another one. Yeah. People yeah. talk about replicas and and continuation cars. We see it as we're just building another car. Um, going through the archive, we found that that there were six um, original P-15s due to be built. Only three were built in period of the Mark 1s. So, yeah, as far as we're concerned, we've gone back and we're fulfilling um, what was going to be done in in period by building six. Mm. Chassis 4 is is my father's car that he commissioned to get the project uh, underway. Uh, Chassis 5 is being built and uh, you might not have seen, but there's just been a press release out there. We found the original body buck of, of the P15. So uh, Richard Mill is commissioning that car to be built oh, cool. for the first time for 70 years in the original shape that it was unveiled in 15th of December, 1949. So that's incredibly uh, exciting for us uh, to see that car. And then we're only going to build one more. So there's there's chassis six um, that you know it, you know it, it is available to the right home, um, and when I say the right home, it, it's 
for us, it, it's got to be someone that appreciates the car, that will run the car, because the whole project's about sharing the story with motorsport fans um, yeah. and a new generation. Um, we don't want them under a dust sheet, hidden away, um, just for a, 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 you know, a couple of individuals to enjoy. This They need to be out there um, and spreading the good news. Yeah. If um, If someone wants to buy that last car, how much is it? Well, it's a very good question. I'm not at liberty to say, I don't think, but um, it'll be quite a lot of money. Um, as you can imagine, 18, you know, 18 months of, um, uh, of hard graft, 36,000 individual parts, it's going to be a lot of money. Um, but yeah, if anyone's interested and they're the right people, then yeah, we'll have a conversation. POA. <laughs> Fair enough. Um... POA. So the and the the cars you've been building now are they going to be exactly the same as the earlier ones or have minor things been tweaked just for like running better and things like that? Yeah, no, it's a, a a very good question. We we are and and Hall and Hall are absolutely uh, sticklers for um, you know detail and for keeping things as genuine um, and as authentic as possible. So the only thing, um, and you know, again, I'm not technical, but the, the only thing that I believe has been upgraded are, are the magnetos, um, which help just to keep it running um, smoother. Mm. Um, other than that, we've, we've done absolutely everything to keep it as per the original drawings. Um, so it, it's identical. Um, obviously, you know, um, the, the quality of, of steel or, or, or the parts, you know, we're, we're using modern materials, so that might be beneficial, but the specification is ex- exactly the same. Um, so it, we're, we're not looking to improve the performance of the car. We're not looking to um, make it something it's not. It is 100% original as far as we're concerned. And, um, you know, we're doing that for, for many reasons, but, you know, we, we want to be able to go to Monaco. We want to be able to go to, to Goodwood, um, you know, hand on heart and say, this is an authentic car. Yeah. We will not compromise on that. And um, others do, we won't. And if, if, if you bought this car, you could run it at Revival, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, indeed. So, um Chassis four, uh, you know, um, the one that's just been built, um, ran at Goodwood, and we're hoping we'll run at Revival this year. In what capacity uh, is TBC? But the idea is we want to race it. Um, we want to see the car racing under full um, in full chat um, that ha- hasn't been done for years. You know, the chassis number one Bewley car. Um, is a very, very special thing, but it's held in trust and it, it, it can't race. Um, okay. Chassis 2 has just been rebuilt. Um, chassis 3 was written off in period. And Chassis 4 is my father's car and Chassis 5 is under, underway. So, um, yeah, so at the moment, it, it's looking like only Chassis 4 will be um, racing in earnest. Um, but that's, that's the plan. Have you been behind the wheel? I've been behind the wheel, uh, not brave enough to drive it quite yet. It, it's actually quite tight. 
Um, I'm six foot five, and it, okay. it's uh, it, it, it's actually quite tight. I think it was built for a man of of, of a slightly shorter stature and, and bigger girth. <laughs> um, the the likes of Gonzalez and, and Fangio uh, seem to slip in and out very easily. Um, I look like a sort of folding giraffe <laughs> trying to get in. I think when the when the old man took his um, took delivery of the car up in um, Blyton. Uh, I thought we were going to have to get an ambulance to get him out. Um, yeah, he was sort of stuck in there, and we left him on the runway for, for a few minutes, which was quite entertaining. But, um, no, it, it, it is pretty tight in there. Um, but I think, look, the the end of the day, I, I would love to drive it. Um, I think when you've got that level of power kicking in through a supercharger, um, you need to know what you're doing. Um, there's only a few people on the planet that, that know how to drive a V16 well. Rob Hall and Rick Hall um, uh, and Andy at, at Hall and Hall are, are some of the best drivers of, of V16s on the planet. I'm hoping that they'll you know take me out in the P25, give me some instructions, and eventually I'll, I'll get to drive it. The the old man hasn't driven it yet. He's hoping to drive it. Um, at the BRMA uh, day up at Blyton um, in a few months' time. Mm. And, yeah, that'll be a very, very special moment for him um, yeah. to, to drive the car that he watched in period as a kid holding his, his dad's hand. So, um, cool. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's very, very cool. The whole project's amazing. I can't, I, I've never driven anything remotely like that it, it, at all. And... I can't get my head round. I I sort of understand the people that raced it back in the day driving them now because that that's sort of, you know, if you drive a car that's made today and then you drive it in 100 years but it was made today, I'd be fine with that. But the idea of sitting in something that was made back then with, like, skinny tyres, you know, say, like 600 horsepower, <laughs> like, does it even have a seatbelt? Probably not. Um, no, no, no! Don't be silly. <laughs> Not having a seatbelt actually saved a few people's lives when those things they they get jettisoned out. But yeah. um, <laughs> no, look, those, those guys again. If you if you take yourself back to um, you know to, to the late forties, early fifties, there was very much post-war feeling. You know, they're like fighter pilots. People used yeah. to die every week in in race cars, and. Um, I'm not saying it was the norm, but it, it was, uh, it's not like it is, you know, now, thankfully. Um, yeah, I'm proud to say because of the work that, um, Louis Stanley did and, and, and Jackie Stewart in the sixties, yeah. um, BRM were, were at the forefront of, of safety in, in formula one, um, which is something, you know, we want to celebrate and, and, you know, tell people about, um, the incredible work they did in, in safety. Yeah. But yeah, to, to to answer your question, I think they were very brave men getting into those cars without seatbelts, put on a little leather hat, put the goggles down, light a fag, and um, and off you go. Um, but yeah, wasn't it great? Yeah. yeah, wasn't it great to watch those guys sliding around the skinny tires with all that power and trying to control it in the wet? You know, some of the drives that um, you know Wharton and, and Parnell performed at, at Goodwood um you know when we got one two three at Goodwood um just astonishing uh the control of that those cars um yeah fantastic to behold 
Um, and I guess we, yeah, we're very, very lucky in, in so far as we've got probably, according to the great historian, most sport historian, Doug Nye, we've got you know, probably the best um, uh, motorsport archive on the planet. Um, it really is incredible. We've got minutes of every meeting from 1946 oh, cool. uh, right the way through to 74. We've got 20,000 drawings. Ruby Owen had commissioned a production company um, very early on. So we've got thousands of hours of never before seen um, Formula One footage oh, that we're awesome. you know, going through at the moment, trying to um, digitize and get our heads around. So, you know, we're very, very fortunate to have all the assets that we have to, to be able to tell the story. And um, we're looking forward to doing that over the next sort of 10, 15 years. It's so cool to have kept that stuff. Like um, on a sort of small level now, I'm, I've, I've recently come across um, some video footage of like my dad 45 years ago. And it's that sort of thing, I think, for our generation and sort of like moving forward, there's going to be so much video footage around as long as people don't lose it. But it's not interesting I personally, it hasn't been interesting for me for like 25 years. But now I'm like, no, it's really cool seeing my dad, my age, but back then and and seeing all this footage now of then is means so much. Whereas like 10 years after it was filmed, no one cares, but you have to wait that mm. long period of time. And then suddenly it sort of like snaps into focus and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Well, you've, you've just hit the nail on the head, really, as, as to how you know, I got involved in the project with my cousins. But for some reason, you, know, you, 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 certain, you, you wait a certain period, and you're not waiting, but you suddenly realize, and it hits you suddenly, that actually that is very cool. You know, that is something I do want to go back and revisit. And that's what happened with this project. You know, it was under our noses and all around us for – you know, two decades before we really realized that there was something there to, to pick up and run with. Um, and it's, it's bizarre, but, um, you know, I should have done it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, you do it now. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Just, well, at least I'm doing it now. Yeah, exactly. The, the V16 engine, one and a half liters. Yeah. 16 mm. cylinders. That is mm. <laughs> like just trying to even just, I've not. I, I don't think I've seen the car, but like trying to picture that engine when you get like six liter American V8s or whatever, you're like these tiny little cylinders, and there's just tons of crazy amount of mechanical stuff all going. Is in in period um, were there problems getting this engine to work and run well? Uh, uh, absolutely. Um... It's a very complicated thing. I think, yeah, as I alluded to earlier, at, at the beginning of, of the V16's uh, life, it, it was unreliable. There were issues, um, you know, but when it was running well, um, like it did in, in sort of 51 and at the end of 50 and, and beyond, it did become pretty reliable. Um, and speaking to, to Rick Hall and, and Rob Hall at, uh, at Hall & Hall, who have built the car, they mm. they do believe that if it's looked after and um, uh, maintained properly, that it can be a very reliable car. 
which I find astonishing when, you know, as a layman, I open the uh, <laughs> the hood and look inside. I'm like, how on earth did anyone dream that thing up? And and how does it work? Um, I've just absolutely yeah. no idea. Um, but it, it's you're absolutely right. It is a complicated thing. Um, but I think you know, with just just with the magnetos, I think that's made a huge difference in the running of the, of, of the car. We've had um, chassis four out a few times, and it's run perfectly every time. Um, as I say, this year we're hoping to run it properly and to have it at full chat. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm very keen to do is uh, to do a sound recording of the car. Um, you know, up at eleven and a half, twelve thousand revs, um, which is when it really starts to sing. I've never heard it personally, so yeah. I want to hear it there. My old man wants to hear it. I think everyone wants to hear it. You know, people we, we're yeah. contacted every day by people saying, you know, when are you going to race it? When when can we hear it? Um because even at Goodwood last year, um speaking to Rob Hall, he you know he got it up to nine thousand revs, nine maybe nine and a half. But it's that last, um, you know, two and a half, three, three and a half thousand. Yeah, that makes a huge difference to the sound of the engine. Huge difference, um, yeah. yeah. and 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 also the the Mark Twos, um, you know, the P30s, they had stub exhaust. Um, and we were very lucky to have a, a couple of those at Goodwood last year. Um, and they've got stub exhaust, which sound even louder. So, um yeah, we're we're thinking about uh, just popping some stub exhausts on the uh, on the Mark One, uh, which it had in in period at, at one stage. So, there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're very, uh, very much able to do so and do the sound recording um the yeah. problem is is finding somewhere that can deal with the noise because every track has a has noisy days um but this is a different level of a noisy day um, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That but must, it, that it's will be that, quite something yeah but it, it, it's that noise i guess i don't know if you've seen any of the sort of short films we've done but um we we shot the the first film the the reawakening which is all about the brand coming back to life with the V16 uh, engine one of the original V16 engines on the dyno at RAF Fockingham in Lincolnshire um, and that that was in one of the original BRM um, outbuildings that was 
uh, at RAF Fokking, where they launched the car in 1949. So for us, it was really important to go back to where it all started and yeah. and for that engine to, to start up. But during making of that film, Hall & Hall got a phone call from someone and said, um, you know, from, from a village about five miles away from, from Fockingham and said, um, <laughs> is that is that a V16 I can hear? I've, I've opened my window so I can hear it better. It's glorious. Keep it coming. And and that gave me the, the sort of inspiration for the follow-up film, which is um, The Chrysalis, which is all about people's reaction in and around born to the sound of the engine nice. um and uh yeah so that, that that's what sort of was the inspiration behind that film just you know up there i don't know if you've been to to lincolnshire but it's um it's got a it's it's quite magical um you know up on the fence and, and watching or hearing the sound just drift across mm. uh the fields um yeah it, it's it's very magical and hopefully the the films do uh, do it justice. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's going to be very cool. Have you done some historic racing yourself? Or no, racing I've yourself? never raced. No, I've never raced anything other than my grifter when I was um, yeah about fifteen years old. I've I've never raced a car. Um, so I'd yeah, I mean. <sighs> I've got to I've got to get in the car first and 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 drive a historic car and, and see where it takes me. Um, as I say, I'm not built for it. Um, but yeah. I think the idea of of being able to get into the V16 ultimately and be able to drive it properly uh, without racing it um, would certainly be an ambition of mine. Um, yeah. How cool would that be? Um, not many really people cool. <laughs> get the opportunity to not many people get the opportunity to do so so i'm um, yeah if i get that opportunity I, I feel extremely privileged yeah that's a good that's a great like path to sort of set yourself off down i've always found with my like road cars and stuff like that um and and yeah race cars as well but being i've, I've always wanted to sort of improve my driving skill to at least to the point where I can push the cars to, like, I'm pushing the cars. The cars are being pushed. Not necessarily their ultimate lap time, but, like, you're around about the limit um, and over it a little bit. And then you can be like, yeah, I've driven that car to a decent level. Great. Thank mm. you very much. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of happy with that. And now I'll go back and chill out on the road. Um, yeah. It's, I think, like that if you uh, if if when when you get to that point with these that will be even just driving them like moderately quickly i think will be one of the most insane experiences ever (laughs) it will be yeah absolutely will be i think um sat on on that little seat behind um you know all that power v16 um will be mildly terrifying um but uh (laughs) Yeah, I've got to um, I've got to grow some balls and get in there at some stage. Um, yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it'll be an amazing uh, opportunity, an amazing experience. I imagine there's some great stepping stones in between, like smaller, are, safer stuff with no grip. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, well, absolutely, there are um, P25, P48. I think uh, 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 two cars that um, I think. Yeah, 
we'd, we'd start with. I think, um, you know, it's one of the things that we, we sort of talk about when we're just sort of bouncing ideas um, uh, around the team is, you know, mm. maybe a, trying to sort of have a V16 driving experience, you know, some people are saying, well, why don't you build one with two seats and things like that? Oh, no, I don't think that's no. feasible. But if there is a way um, for certain people to to go through a, a training course to be able to have a few laps in the V16, ultimately, wouldn't that be an amazing opportunity to, to be able to provide um, people? Um, yeah. You know, but all these ideas are up in the air. But um, all I do know is that to drive one is pretty terrifying because the power comes in um, all in a rush. I think it, it, the power doubles uh, when it hits a certain um, point on, on, on the rev counter and you don't yeah. want to be doing that going around the corner. So um, it, it really does need to be treated with the respect it deserves. It's um, mildly terrifying. Yeah. That, that would be for like the person that has called you up and gone, I can hear a V16. I'm sure that person, like, if if it was somehow possible, and it might just not be possible, to go, okay, we've set up some cones on a massive area and you can come and you drive this and then you drive this and you get, like, two laps or three laps in a V16. That would make people's, like, would be serious, mean a lot to a lot of people, I think. But even just bringing it back and putting it out there is is awesome. No, absolutely, and it, it, it's sort of one of the things that we're we're, we're talking about doing, and, and certainly one of the things that I'm personally very keen to do is, you know, having been at that auction in 1981 and watched, you know, my father and my uncle have to sell the family jewels, if you like, in terms of yeah. the, the BRM cars themselves, is you know for for the next generation to be in a position to rebuild that squad. Um, to rebuild the squad that we had to sell, to bring it back to BRM, bring it back to the Owen family, um, and and possibly have a BRM driving experience, um, whereby you know we build those cars for people to actually drive, um, you know possibly at, at, at Silverstone or somewhere like that. That that to me would be the ultimate um, uh, the ultimate dream. In, in terms of telling the BRM story and, and giving people the opportunity yeah. to see the cars. Because it, it's, yeah, we talked a lot about the V16 and, and, and with good reason, but there were some incredibly beautiful cars right the way through to 1974. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so we, we've just started this journey. We, we've started, you know, as the latest film, The Genesis, um, sort, of, sort of shows we, we've gone back to the very beginning and we want to tell the story right the way through to 1974. And, and this year is about telling the story of, of 1962 and a, a certain Graham Hill winning the world championship for us um, over in South Africa. So, um, yeah, the, there's so many stories to tell. You know, when we're going through the archive, yeah. more and more stories keep coming out. Um, and it's, yeah, it's so rich in history, so rich in um in humor as well and um an irony and you, you, we've got so much to 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 talk about really over the next um you know decade and beyond have you got uh, any personal highlights of f f amusing things you've come across or interesting things you've found 
Well, I don't know about amusing because it, it, it probably isn't amusing, but yeah, someone was telling me the story of um, you know, up at Fockingham on, on the launch of, of you know, British Racing Motors, BRM, the, the great hope for the, the British racing team, um, you know, the ambassador for, for Britain. Uh, all the press were there. Uh, the car was unveiled and Raymond Mays got in. He, he had a flu at the time, a temperature of um, you know, 104 or something. So he was, he was pretty ill. But he got in the car and, and did a few demo laps. And um, I think one of the camera crews got, got a camera up on top of, um, of, of, of an old car and strapped it. You know the car to to the top of the roof and and thought they'd do a sort of tracking shot of the um uh, of the v16 being driven down down yeah. the runway and uh and it was all going fine i think and then you know with all the vibrations one of the leads came out of the camera and you know unbeknown to the cameraman who was obviously facing uh towards the car with the back to where he was going yeah. um there was a very low bridge Ooh. and um, yeah, a very low bridge, which the driver seemingly thought wasn't low enough, but actually it turned out it would have been, but because the lead had fallen out of the camera, the cameraman quickly went down to collect the lead and put it just as they went under this low bridge, Ooh. but would have de- yeah, it, it would have uh, decapitated him. Um, so, <sighs> That was a, a slice of luck uh, on, wow. on the first day of launch. Um, but there's all these stories that are coming out. Um, and, and the great thing is there's still quite a few mechanics and people that work with BRM um, still with us and uh, still very much compass mentis and, and are sort of telling us these stories that we're mm. busy uh, getting down on, on paper and, and looking to tell. Um, yeah, I think the the... the film the chrysalis which was um about people's reactions we we were very fortunate um to to have dick salmon uh one of the original brm mechanics who's now 96 years old um starred in the in the film um and he was responsible for changing the uh disc brakes um sorry the drum brakes to disc brakes in in period um so to speak to, with him and, and to be able to go down to, to, to the pub in Bourne and, and have a beer with him was an incredible privilege. Um, and we actually got um, a few of the mechanics, John Sisme as well, um, uh, and Dick, and we got them to Goodwood to watch 35 BRMs from 1949 or 1950 through to 74 go out one after the other um, and incredibly proud moment for, for all of us in the BRM team to be able to, to do that. And um, yeah, big thanks to Hall and Hall and, and to Goodwood for making that happen. But I, I, I turned to my old man, um, you know, quite emotional and, and said, you know, what, what, what was the highlight of, uh, of, of your day? Uh, expect him to say, being here with you, son, watching all these <laughs> beautiful cars go past. Uh, and he said, oh, I think the highlight was definitely being with Dick Salmon, watching all those cars go out. Um, so I think, I mean, that that really gives you an idea of, of um, how revered, um, you know, the Owen family you know, 
revere the, the people that actually did the hard graft and, yeah. and made it all possible. Um, uh, and, and to have Dick working with us on, on the film was uh, absolute privilege. He's, he's a legend. That's and he's cool. written a fascinating book as well. Oh, nice. I'll, I'll check that out so does that mean because you're going to presumably we're going to see more over the next you know mm-hmm. 10 years or so have you said are there going to be more yeah. cars that never got built possibly getting built Unknown. excellent question excellent question <laughs> um uh, look i think the best way to answer that is is probably hopefully okay um you know as i say the whole thing about this project is telling the story and and to have the cars out there uh, running and, and racing. And if we can build a couple more um, that enable that to happen, then that's got to be a good thing. Um, we're in a position to build them um, insofar as we've got the plans, we've got the IP, we own, we own everything, we should, we should do it. Um, and I think that is the ambition. Uh, there's some beautiful cars that are too valuable now really to race. So why not build another one um, yeah. so that they can be raced as long as they're built to the exact specification and it's us building them. We're just building another car and we're able to do so. So we're in that privileged position to be able to, you know, fulfill a dream. And um, it'd be very sad if we didn't take that opportunity, I think. Yeah. Sounds very cool. Well, that, that sounds mm. like a, a pretty good point. To sort of funnel into the way I normally wrap these up, ish. This, this this can lead to God knows how much more time. Five questions. Do you oh, have man. a most memorable, memorable driving trip or journey? That's the first one. Ooh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Uh, I've got a few. I suppose probably um, driving a Holden Kingswood. A 1967 Holden Kingswood in Australia um, set off from Melbourne. I think I bought it for about a, a grand back in 1989. And I drove it um, to Ayers Rock um, via Adelaide um, on my own and um, nearly got hijacked by <laughs> um, some locals um, on, on the long drive. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't go above 50 miles an hour. So I don't know how many you know, thousands and thousands of miles it was, but it was a long voyage. Um, so that sort of sticks in in my mind as um, you know, a good road trip. Um, yeah, arriving at Ayers Rock um, and, and being able to climb Ayers Rock, which you can't obviously do now, and photographing my, my Holden Kingswood nice. um, in front of Ayers Rock. That was, um, yeah, that was quite a good voyage. Was that limited to 50 miles an hour because the car couldn't go more than 50 miles an hour or limited to 50 miles an hour because the speed limits are 50 miles an hour? Uh, yeah, no, good, good question. I think I was just wary that the car was probably on its last legs. Um, <laughs> it was pretty yeah. old um, and I didn't want to break down. So, uh, and yeah, I, I was didn't have any money at the time and um, I was living off watermelon juice. So I think um, anything yeah. safe on fuel as well um would help that's that sounds like um, a rather yeah, epic one it, that one that was a great car it was um absolutely hideous um to drive <laughs> um three three on a tree uh straight six 3.3 liter i think um with big gold bench seats 
um, and a yeah. gold roof. Um, no aircon, obviously. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty special car. Cool. What what, what road cars get get you excited now? To be honest, um, I, I I have this debate with with people, and I really get. Yeah, I can't get excited about all the big hypercars, um, you know, and this yeah. this race to go faster and faster, and you know how quickly you know, you can go. It it just doesn't get me excited. Um, for me, it, it's a combination of 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 having a thrilling drive and something that you know, takes your breath away every time you 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 step out the door and see it on the drive. Um, so mm. I think you know. There's a, a number of cars from, from the 60s that um, I absolutely love. Yeah, you know, you know, when I got married, I, I hired a, a soft-top um, E-Type, um, and that was very, very special. Um, yeah. A pig to drive, but but beautiful to look at. So for <laughs> me, you know, if, if there was going to be a, a, a road car, um, it's got to have a combination of something that looks beautiful but goes yeah. quickly without – anything ridiculous it's i think people have got obsessed with um with how fast things go um i think they need to take a a moment and look at the engineering and look at the aesthetics a little bit more um you know who cares if it's got point one of a drag less you know because it's sleeker i i don't i think i'd rather see it look more beautiful i think the ultimate sort of flip side to this chasing speed which i I totally understand why manufacturers do it and i totally understand why people enjoy a bit of speed is um is the fact that you can get a tesla model x it's like a family suv brick that i saw a drag race with a new 911 turbo s and they were like the same speed (laughs) you're like well (laughs) i I bought it because it's fast has gone out the window. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I totally rest my case. Um, you know, it, it's for me. I think we 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 need to sort of uh, take a step back. And uh, you, people, you know, go and get a modern uh, supercar, um, and then someone goes to a garage and, and gets out you know, a beautiful car from the sixties. Guess what turns heads more? You know, mm. it, it, it's it's not the supercar. Um, it, it's the beautiful car from the 60s. Absolutely. And I think we are seeing that shift. I think a lot of people, the sort of classic time most people end up buying the supercar or the sports car is generally done well in life and they're treating themselves or they've sold a business or, you know, something they've got to that point and they buy something that's current for at that time. So I think we're seeing mm. a lot now people doing the same situation go buy a modern ferrari or something and they might have a modern ferrari or they might have two and then they they're like mm, okay maybe i want something a bit cooler a bit different a bit and we're seeing you know the the resto mods and people just yeah i think the resto mod one i totally understand because i love the looks of a variety of cars but i don't want to drive mm. an old car I, I it needs to work no. Like I would like a radio and you know, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. and I totally get that. I'd like a radio and for it. Yeah. To start and for it not to break down. Cause <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. So I, I had a, um, 
a beautiful uh, heritage body shell 1969 um, MGB Roadster, um, yeah. yeah, with the chrome bumpers, etc. And I, I used to drive around um, south of France, thinking I was very cool um, with my girlfriend at the time, and invariably end up breaking down or the thing wouldn't start. And um, yeah, I was uh, yeah, it got pretty frustrating. Um, and I yeah. sold it, but yeah, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. It, it's you know having those looks, um, but with the reliability of, of, of a modern car, I can yeah. see the uh, benefits in that. And you do get you know, like you, you'll have it with the what is it you're saying? The magnetos have been upgraded. Um, you'll, you'll have someone, someone somewhere will be like, no, you should use the originals, and you're like, yeah, the car doesn't run, mm. so. Yeah. Would you rather see it run yeah. and rev to 11 and yeah. a half, 12? Like, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think when, when we're, you know, going through speaking to, um, Hall and Hall, when, when they're going through, uh, yeah, trying to reverse engineer some, some parts mm. of the car, they could see where the modifications had been made because either physically or for other reasons, it didn't work. Yeah. So they sort of tweaked things along the way. So, we were trying to build something from the original plans, but actually they they tweaked it you know, as it went along. That car yeah. was always changing from the from the moment it, it was built. You know, oh, actually, we need more ventilation. Let's make some more louvres. Let's have a yeah. bigger vent at the front, et cetera, et cetera. So it was always evolving to get better and better. Um, so what do you do? Do you, do you build the very first one um, that was you know, potentially compromised? Mm. Um, you know, or, or do you build one later on? And that's, that's the debate. And actually, thankfully, we're going to do both. Um, you know, that very first car is going to be, you know, that hasn't been seen for 70 years is phenomenally special um, because it was Britain's first Formula One car. And that, that's what yeah. it looked like when it was unveiled to the world in 1949, 19, um, yeah, 1949. But actually, that car evolved into something that Fangio drove very, very effectively in 1953, 1954, um, that, that blew all the other cars off the circuit. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be in a fantastic position of having both those cars, which yeah. is brilliant. That's very cool. For the the one that's been f- for the, the 53 car, the um, were yeah. all the drawings there for all of the modifications or was it – you had the sort of the canvas and then it's like a case of looking at all the photos, analyzing the cars that are around and stuff like that. Yeah. It, I, I believe it of, of some of those things. So you, know, you get out a, a, a sort of a one beautifully hand-drawn drawing, um, which yeah. was to my mind, unbelievably complicated. And then you'd have all these little yeah. numbers and, and lines and that, those would be additional plans within the plans and and so yeah. you'd sort of be unearthing all this stuff and then there'll be a combination <laughs> of of having to try and reverse engineer little bits so um yeah. it was an f- incredibly difficult sort of process um you know that hall and hall went through to to produce it um but you know i, I have no idea how they did it um you know <laughs> ha- hats off to them it, oh, it's well. um well, I'll ask them. Um, they'll be, you know, superbly, supremely modest as they always are, 
But um, all you have to do is, you know, I'll send you a picture afterwards of, of the car pretty well built without any of the skin on. And you'll see mm. just how complicated that thing is. Um, yeah. yeah, very special indeed. Very cool. Right. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life. Ooh. Wait, sorry. You can drive Ooh. one car for the rest of your life, any value, whatever, and you have £500 for a separate car. Oh, oh, oh. Um, mm, probably it's something quite fast but practical, something like an RS4, um, mm-hmm. which does the job um, in many ways. Um, I think that would be a good starter for 10. I know it's probably dull. There'll be a lot of people listening to this, you know, uh, with their head in their hands. Um, and then, <laughs> no. and then, um, what, 500 quid for another car? Yeah, so my, my reasoning on that is, like, you can get something super cheap if you just mm. need, like, an old Passat to, like, carry stuff around in or whatever, and then you can yeah. have a sports car if you want, but it's totally however you want to do it. Well, this, yeah, this is one for, yeah, I've got, I've got something in the garage that's worth about 500 quid, um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, again, everyone will be reaching um, you know, with their head in their hand, a classic hairdresser's car, um, no disrespect to hairdressers, but um, I've got an Audi TT from 19, uh, sorry, oh. from 2000, um, which uh, I had is that, is that like an original one? Yeah, yeah um which nice. i had from you nice. yeah i've done one hundred and fifty thousand miles in it it needs a, a bit of work but um i've had a lot of fun on that car and uh i had it chipped and upgraded and yeah it goes pretty well it's four-wheel drive uh i'll yeah. probably dig that out of uh from beneath the uh dust sheet i, I suppose um <laughs> they're, they're like a modern kind of classic now like, I, I, well, I, I think, yeah, I think you're probably, I mean, if we had this conversation in 10, 15 years time, I think you we'll might see. have a, a valid, a, a valid argument. I think right now they're still ridiculed. Um, but yeah, I, yeah but it, it's, it's a great car. Um, you know, for, for the money now, I think um, it, it, it's good value. So um, I always had fun racing around in that um, hairdresser's mm-hmm. car. So I'd, I'd probably have that. Fair enough. Um, what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? What do you think should be worth more? Every BRM. Um, <laughs> yeah. gen- gen- genuinely, I think, you know, um, it's it's a forgotten brand, um, you know, for, for the reasons we've discussed. And I think... You know, I'm, I'm obviously going to say this, I'm, I'm biased, but I think when you look at the level of engineering and the drivers that drove those cars, um, mm. they do represent phenomenal value. Um, you know, we, we had the best drivers in, you know, driving for us. Um, you know, Clark aside, I think, you know, Fangio, Gonzalez, Lauda, Hill, Stewart, Surtees, uh, Parnell, Wharton, yeah. you know, um, we, we have phenomenal drivers driving for us. Um, and with the level of engineering that's in all those cars, 
Um, and they're, they're beautiful. They're some of the most beautiful racing cars. Again, I'm biased, but some of the most beautiful racing cars ever produced. Um, and, you know, I'm not alone in, in, in saying that. Um, so, yeah, I know you're probably asking for a road car, but I'm, I'm going to say no, uh, right. BRM. Yeah. What? I, I guess it probably varies massively, but I mean, how much does it cost? Would it cost to buy? And then this is going to be the where the massive difference is, uh, like a 60s BRM. And I, I presumably, obviously, 62 one so that's going to be worth more but like what what spread are we looking at well some some of the cars just aren't available um aren't around um i think you know again i i don't know um is is the short answer but i would have thought um you know some of the original cars depending on well, again, there's only only one for sale, and uh, P O A. Um, <laughs> the uh, look, I, I, I think, yeah, I I wouldn't be Fair surprised. For, no, I wouldn't be surprised if um, yeah, the original Bewley car, for example, uh, chassis one, um, was worth you know ten million quid. I, yeah. I can't verify that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so you you get. Anything depending on um, uh, condition and the provenance of the car. Anything from you know probably three or four hundred grand up up to that figure. I would have yeah. thought. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the work that we're doing. You know that that those figures are only going to go north. Um, it's it's very much part of British heritage. I think you know we need to tell that story. People will appreciate the mark and the brand and everything that went into it and how special it was um, as part mm. of British motor racing history. Um, it was an integral part of, of that. And, um, you know, hopefully if we do our job well, people will get to understand that. Yeah. No. Sounds pretty cool. Most interesting car to you at the moment? Hmm. Well, I was just watching uh, someone sent me a link to the um, H16 um, from the 60s. Uh, I think not, yeah, H16, which was basically yeah. two v- V8s uh, on top of each other. Um, <laughs> there's it, quite an extraordinary um, engine, very, very heavy, um, probably pretty unreliable. But again, just going back to you know, the madmen from from BRM who came up with it, it's um, utterly ridiculous, uh, incredibly <laughs> complicated, but sounds oh, wow. beautiful. Um, so I think that's an interesting car. Um, yeah, obviously we've talked a lot about the V16. Picture. Yeah, check out the H16. Um, yeah, we, we just had a habit of, you know, we, we do something incredibly complicated and then we do go back to basics and do something very simple yeah. and that would be effective. And then we go back to doing something incredibly complicated again. And then, <laughs> you know, there seemed to be this cycle of, um, well, that's work. That was too easy. Let's do something much, much harder. Um, we need a challenge. <laughs> yeah, we, we need a new challenge. 
Um, yeah, and and that's yeah, that's for us here. Yeah, what what's the challenge going to be for BRM going forward? Yeah, we're we're telling the story. Yeah. We're bringing it bring it back to life. We want to go racing. What does the future hold for us? You know, we don't know right now. Um, all we're trying mm-hmm. to do is is build the brand and and tell the story and 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 hopefully go racing again. But who knows what's around the corner? We, you know, I was looking at um, through some of the twenty thousand drawings um, that that we've got, and and there's a a prototype road car uh, from the sixties. Yeah, beautiful wow. looking prototype road car. Um, who knows? Who knows where it's going to take us? But plenty of um, options. Plenty of options, but it's it's um, been a, a brilliant journey so far. A privileged one. Um, an enjoyable one. We've got uh, lots of great plans for 19 you know, to celebrate this mm. year. Uh, we're going to be at Shelsley Walsh. Um, you know, hopefully at Silverstone Classic. We're going to be at Revival. Um, and all being well, we're going to do this sound recording of uh, of the V16. Yeah. Um, you, you probably don't know. Yeah, full chat. Probably too young, but yeah, full chat. But um, Nick Mason owned a uh, a Mark II that bernie now owns um and he did um a sound recording i think it was 92 called into the red um of the v16 um going some and um he set the benchmark basically and we've got to uh to do a modern version of into the red <laughs> and um nice. hopefully that'll happen this year yeah yeah, yeah. right final question five car yep. garage unlimited value oh god um yeah i told you i'm not a petrol head um <laughs> i've already told you two in Didn't there there's yeah 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 um i would have an e-type in there yeah. um i'd have so a e-type two, rs4 two, yeah I'd, I'd have my hairdressers in there um just okay. for old time's TT. sake yeah um two more a p261 um brm which is my favorite um it's a beautiful car i'd have that in there and i'd, I'd have a v16 in there yeah so a couple um, of i mean a couple of race cars of race cars yeah and uh wow. yeah a few road cars and a hairdresser's car perfect perfect a lovely combination occasion yeah exactly <laughs> But no, I think yeah, I'd, I'd yeah, I'd, I'd probably have um, some of the old alphas, um, a pretty beautiful um, from the sixties. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd certainly look at those. Um, yeah, there we go. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. 
code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.